Koto, St. Augustine's. There's a bit of an a inside joke about how we pronounce the name of our church, whether it's St. August, Augustine's or St. Augustine's. Really, it's a discussion about how English we actually are. So you decide how connected you are with the motherland, uh, but it's St. Augustine's. Um, now, this is a bad weekend uh, to be a nation that loves to throw an oval ball around. Um, up the waz, still a little bit, I think. But um, yeah, look, I'm here to proclaim hope to you this morning, and I'm going to do my very best. Um, you know when people tell you something really unhelpful just as you're supposed to get up and talk? Well, Steve just leant into me and said, I'm really glad that you're uh, supporting both sides of the political spectrum in the election season. So now I'm really self-conscious of this. If you're listening online, I'm wearing blue and red, um, a little bit of white, which could be French colors, actually, so pretty awkward. Um, anyway, I'm Sam. <laughs> nice to be here. Um, we've been talking over the last few weeks about creativity uh, being a way to speak hope, and this morning I want to talk about hope being a way we speak to a broken world. Uh, and as always, it's uh, an immense privilege, actually, to be able to speak to you this morning and actually proclaim that hope to you as well. Um, but I'm someone who struggles to hold on to hope. Um, I enjoy being a little bit dark and cynical at times. Um, and yeah, hope is not by nature, it doesn't come easily to me. Um, but I'm also someone who knows this hope, um, who has experienced this hope, and believes in this hope. And that's what I want to see if we can bring both sides of that in this morning. And we're really lucky. We've heard some amazing uh, stories of people using their creativity uh, to, uh, to really uh, issue the kingdom in a new ways. Um, but really what, what I wanted to do today is underline again the, the reasoning why we do that. And we don't want to sound like through this series that like we're a hip modern church that just wants to like baptize graphic design as this anointed uh, missionary activity. It is good. Um, we don't want to just keep the church relevant um, by doing a, a series on creativity. We really want to say that uh, we want to be creative because something has happened in history that's changed everything, and we want to talk about that really well. Death has been beaten, and now we have to figure out what to do with that. <laughs> it's simple, but incredibly profound. Um, it changes everything. This is what Paul goes on about in the New Testament. He's like, I'm on trial for attesting that uh, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Not because he didn't agree with people, but because he was talking about resurrection. That's what people really wanted to push him on. So how do you start to talk about that, about um, to live in light of the reading we just heard, which says, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. How do you start talking about that in ways that make sense? Well, I think uh, creativity can get narrowed, I think, in our day into a, like a really narrow uh, idea of expression or expressivism um, or trying to self-actualize through art or some sort of thing about trying to be authentic, whatever that means. But I think creativity for the church means something quite specific most of the time, um, and it's something to really get right. It's something that is a fact of history that happened. Death was broken in some sort of way that somehow makes sense. Um, a resurrection happened. Uh, and so we have to kind of find ways to talk about that, um, which don't freak people out, but at the same time freak them out a little bit because it's really significant. 
And I think also where I wanted to go to first is hope is a really important uh, idea or concept to get right in our time. I think it's probably one of the most important things to get right. You may have noticed we live in pretty deeply cynical waters, um, deeply fearful waters, and uh, I think we're willfully distracted by to, uh, towards a lot of those feelings at the moment through doom scrolling on our phone and things like that. So to kind of paint a picture of this sort of undercurrent of despair, I could have thrown a lot of data at you about how people are feeling about the present and the future. But I think sometimes it's actually better to describe it as a bit of a mood and to just kind of show things that sort of get to that mood. So I'm going to show you two clips of things that I've found over the last little while. The first clip is from a cartoon called Rick and Morty. I don't know if people have watched that. You shouldn't have, but anyway. This is from Rick and Morty, and in this episode... Rick and Morty, it's a grandfather and a grandson, basically go from universe to universe creating carnage. And in this one, they had destroyed one universe, so they came to another universe, killed the equivalents of themselves, and just pretended to live their life, which is really dark. But because everything's nihilistic, it didn't matter in the end anyway. So anyway, here's a clip from Rick and Morty. Hey, uh, you doing okay? I kind of know how you feel, Summer. No, you don't. You're the little brother. You're not the cause of your parents' misery. You're just a symptom of it. Can I show you something? Morty, no offense, but a drawing of me you made when you were eight isn't going to make me feel like less of an accident. That out there, that's my grave. Wait, what? On one of our adventures, Rick and I basically destroyed the whole world. So we bailed on that reality, and we came to this one. Because in this one, the world wasn't destroyed. And in this one, we were dead. So we came here, and, and, and we buried ourselves, and we took their place. And every morning, Summer, I eat breakfast 20 yards away from my own rotting corpse. So you're not my brother? I'm better than your brother. I'm a version of your brother you can trust when he says don't run. Nobody exists on purpose. Nobody belongs anywhere. Everybody's going to die. Come watch TV. Nobody exists on purpose. Hey, Nobody uh, belongs anywhere. Everybody's going to die. Come watch TV. It's kind of funny, but also extremely dark and sad as a reflection of the way that is often thought about. The next little clip I want to show you is a song sung by uh, Phoebe Bridges, and um, Phoebe is singing the song, and she's basically going through a whole load of stuff that's presented to us on the internet, a juxtaposition of internet celebrities uh, and stuff that's happening in culture. Some of the stuff you'll know what she's talking about, other bits you'll have no idea, and that's totally fine. But the juxtaposition is all of that stuff mixed in with existential dread of things happening in the world that we feel out of control with. So here's a snippet of the song called A Funny Feeling. The Surgeon General's pop-up shop Robert Iger's face Discounted sea prop Bugles take on race Female Colonel Sanders, easy answer, civil war. The whole world at your fingertips, the ocean at your door. The live action Lion King, the Pepsi halftime show. Twenty thousand years of this, seven more to go. Carpool 
Some pretty dark lyrics juxtapose against one another. You've got the whole world at your fingertips, but the ocean at your door. You've got 20,000 years of this, seven more to go. A gift shop at the gun range, a mass shooting at the mall. There it is again, that funny feeling. Uh, I guess we're going down in a blazing ball of fire, but uh, I guess we're just going to laugh about it. This sense, and it's very true of actual, actually Gen Z humor, which is like, uh, I guess it's all going to hell in a hay bale, you know. Which is kind of funny, but actually really, really sad. Um, that this is the narrative that's kind of at a media level of, of how people talk about the present and the future at a popular level. Um, so I find that deeply troubling, actually, that this is how people are thinking and talking. So we've got to get really good at talking about hope. Um, you know, because it's really easy to fall into cynical resignation like this or like a low-level depression but the job of the church is to re-narrate our time, to say, yeah, there are things that are not right in the world, but where it's all going, something very different. We are, we are a community of re-narration, speaking from a different script and a different story. But we've got some other uh, challenges in uh, where we are in Aotearoa. Um, we have a few particular challenges here, uh, and one of them is that uh, unlike the UK, or Europe, those two things are different now. <laughs> um, we never really had the church uh, as a backbone of our society. Um, so there's no sense in which the community ever revolved around church practice. The church in New Zealand has existed in a very different way. So I think the high point of regular church attendance in New Zealand was 28% in 1891. <laughs> that was our high point. So we've never really had the church being having a heyday or the glory days in New Zealand. What we've done instead is we've become really big on social action in New Zealand. So what this means is throughout the 20th century, we took on an increasingly adversarial character towards uh, society and culture and had lots to say about lots of different things. So let me tell you some of the things that we've protested about over the last 100 years or so. We have staunchly defended a literal six-day creation. Uh, we have challenged the theory of evolution. Uh, we've contended for biblical inerrancy. Uh, we've started to be seen as a straight jacket in society because of that. Uh, we've at times backed political viewpoints, uh, but usually we've been speaking on a range of contemporary views and values, uh, including sexual activity, drinking, smoking, cursing, swearing, and going to the movies. That's, uh, that's, that's what we're known for. Um, so there's a photo here from uh, 1929. This is a temperance movement. There's a protest in Otahuhu um, against the creation of a brewery. So this is the church again. Obviously not an Anglican march, but you know, this is the sort of thing that's been going on. So in New Zealand, when we come to re-narrate things, uh, we've got a bit of a PR problem because 
although social action is absolutely definitely the right thing to do sometimes, the Kiwis have come to associate uh, the Christian voice in New Zealand as being the moral culture critic. So we've got that's this additional challenge. So you often hear when you talk about God, uh, from a regular Kiwi, you might hear something like, um, I don't really think I need religion like that. Like, I think I'm a pretty good person anyway. I, f- I feel like I'm pretty moral, so I, I think I'm good. Uh, so God can be seen as this sort of cosmic bookkeeper. Um, and so we can get into this mindset of, you know, if I have 4,671 bad deeds, but, you know, 6,532 good deeds, then the ledger is in my favor and I should be okay with God. But... The real issue is, it's not so much our equation in the background here, it's we need to go and sit in a cemetery <laughs> and have a look around and see where we're going and actually realize that our problem is not a moral one. Uh, our problem is very different. And the problem is that we're all going to die. Everything is decaying. We actually need someone, someone who's been through death and done something with it and knows how to get out the other side to put our hope in. That's actually what we need hope for. The Christian morality is about aligning your life by participating in this message. But first and foremost, it's actually about doing something about death. That's what we're here to to reiterate. So in the words of uh, theologian Robert Capon, Jesus came to raise the dead. He did not come to teach the teachable. He did not come to improve the improvable. He did not come to reform the reformable. None of those things work. He came to raise the dead. We're here to attest to a new kind of life that's broken through reality. And this idea, because of what Jesus has done, life wins. We are running towards risenness. There has been a rupture in time, and we don't have to accept the way things go at the moment. And this is what hope is really about. This is why we create This is why we tell stories and why we make good art and build communities around this. Because we're people that realize that this insane hope, which never goes away from feeling odd, um, has legs to it. And if it's true, if death is beaten, then everything is different. Uh, What can anyone truly take from us in the end if death is beaten? Nothing. But annoyingly, we have a few things uh, in the way we talk about hope that kind of masquerade as hope, that kind of cosplay as this, um, as this challenge to these despairs in, in, the, in our day. So here are a few of them. Uh, one new thing that's popped up in the digital space is foreverism, which is this idea that if things operate in the digital realm, like the cloud um, or on your phone, they don't actually disintegrate or go anywhere. You can keep them forever. And that started to form our imaginations too, this idea of foreverism. You've got stoicism, which has made it a surprising comeback in the 21st century. Um, this idea that life is hard, suck it up, take it on the chin, and you'll be right. The stoic idea of you just need to face life head on and it's never going to get better, so just deal with it. We also have therapeutic culture, which is all about protecting your inner life and your inner well-being um, and making sure your psychological feelings are all okay, which is probably the main temptation for modern worship, worship music, which is all like, God, make me feel better, bring me your peace, but often divorced from why we can actually sing that in the first place. Uh, we've got like reformism, which is the idea if we keep you know, pushing for society to be better. We might get there in the end, guys, but obviously that never works. Um, 
We've been criticized in the past for having a focus on the afterlife. This is Karl Marx's big critique, that it's the opium of the people, that you know, they can stop worrying about all the stuff that's going on here and now because one day we'll float off to heaven and it'll all be all right. So we've got all this stuff going on. I haven't even mentioned escapism. But I think one of the, the biggest ways that people deal with this is through cynicism, this idea that kind of poo-poos any good thinking um, and uh, maybe looks down on hope as being naive. And so this is something that um, is really hard to articulate and uh, speak against. Um, but one person who I found recently who's spoken about this really well is musician Nick Cave, the Australian musician, uh, who has found God again um, after the death of two of his sons. So huge grief in his life. Um, and a young father asked him a question once and saying, how, how do I stop my cynicism rubbing off on my children? And Nick Cave replied, you know, actually, um, when I was a young man, it was, I actually quite liked being cynical. I felt cool, it was very appealing. But as I realized how precious people were, I started to understand how important hope was. So here's an, a quote from Nick Cave. Uh, Unlike cynicism, hopefulness is hard-earned. It makes demands upon us and can often feel like the most indefensible and lonely place on earth. Hopefulness is not a neutral position either. It is adversarial. It is the warrior emotion that can lay waste to cynicism. Each redemptive or loving act, as small as you like, keeps the devil down in the hole. It says the world and its inhabitants have value and are worth defending. It says the world is worth believing in. In time, we come to see that it is so. I think this quote nails something really important. Um, it's not about having a positive mindset uh, or being optimistic. Uh, it's adversarial uh, because it says no to death. It says no to despair. It contends that we can do better than stoicism because uh, Jesus has put an end to death. Uh, and actually the gospel frees us from the tyranny of optimism and gives us hope instead. And because hope is a warrior emotion, uh, it's feral. <laughs> and we need to reclaim its feralness. Um, it's not simply a lovely feeling of reassurance uh, that we enjoy in our placid quiet times. It's actually a discipline. We hope against hope. We cling on when we don't feel it. We trust within devastation. We hold God to his word even when it looks like he's abandoned us. We do that with our lives. So why do we hope and speak this hope to each other? Well, we've actually got two groups of people that we do this for. It's obviously for the world, but first it's for the people in these walls to speak about hope and learn to story well. You know, when we come in through these doors, uh, we all come in a little bit differently. Um, some of us might be excited to be here, some of us are coming along because we feel like it's the right thing to do on a Sunday. Uh, some of us just out of habit, perhaps. And, you know, some of us, let's be honest, have been dragged along as well. Some of us are full of faith, uh, and some of us feel completely empty and maybe hoping that we'll feel something that might bring us back to life. And so our first reason for embodying this story uh, and gathering to, together in song and prayer and liturgy and teaching and then communion and sending is to re-narrate to one another, to remind each other of the great hope we stand in. 
And often I'll come to church on Sundays and it'll be someone else's lived out faith of telling a story that will snap me out of whatever hole I've managed to get into in the week. Um, And this can be done communally in a group like this or one-on-one. And uh, last year I had an incredibly powerful experience of this myself. And he doesn't know I'm gonna do this, but I'm actually gonna talk about Jim. So this is probably a bit bit embarrassing for Jim, um, but I'm the one with the microphone, so what are you gonna do? Rugby tackle me, I can run faster. So, um, last year, I experienced actual depression for the very first time. So, I finally, I got it. I got what the big deal was about. <laughs> um, and it was, I, I, you can't put language to it. It was like agony all through my chest of this pain of feeling unnecessary to the world or something like that. Um, and it got so bad that I was terrified to go to bed because I knew that if I went to bed, I'd just have to lie there and look the pain dead in the eyes. And it was just, I was just scared the entire time. Um, and I didn't know, really know what to do with that because I'd never experienced it before. I was kind of panicking because I was like, I, I actually can't deal with this uh, anymore. Um, and I finally understood why some people will do anything to find relief from that. Um, so, without knowing what else to do, I reached out to, to my old mate, Jim, and I, was just, I think I said something really simple, like, I'm struggling, need help, something like that. And he came around, picked me up, took me for a walk on the beach, and for two hours, spoke back to all the yuck in my brain that was going on, and really just pulled me out of that. So, um, thanks, Jim. <laughs> but, uh, that is a microcosm of what we do for each other. We need to re-narrate hope and say, actually, the stories we've been living in are not enough. Do you know the real story? It's this, and speak back. That's what Sundays are for. <clears throat> Where am I now? I think I, got a, I had a similar experience listening to Dave last week as well, um, share his story of living out of his hope. And again, that's what church is for, to encourage each other that actually it's beyond us that this hope goes. So we do it for each other, but we definitely do it for the world too. And I think the first Christians totally got this. You can imagine them sitting around in the first churches being like, okay, we're communities that believe that Jesus rose from the dead so that changes history and space-time. Uh, what do we do about that? And so they started to get creative. Um, and so, you know, one of the things they did is they found children that had been discarded on the street and picked them up and raised them and gave them a hope and a future. It was amazing. But one of the other examples uh, is that uh, at the end of the second century, there was this, uh, something called the Plague of Galen. And what happened was this plague was so bad uh, in the Roman Empire that I think a quarter to a third of the population died in this plague, uh, people were literally just dropping dead in fields. And obviously it was a scary time. People were fleeing uh, to get away from this. Yet in this time, the Christians actively cared for the sick and the dying, often at the expense of their own health. Uh, historians say they feared neither sickness or death. Um, and while this is not a call for us to all go risking our lives as well, it does speak to the narrative that our forebears were living in. Um, a reality in which death did not have the final word. Um, 
and you got, you got these great letters uh, of Julian, the Emperor Julian complaining about the Christians, saying, those impious Galileans, as he referred to them, they care for the sick and they're making us look bad. It's awesome. So this hope was being noticed by everybody. And isn't that amazing that it stood out like that? And so hope is feral. <laughs> it's not this nice, pious, therapeutic, holy optimism or some sort of a serene escapism or denial of the pain we experience. True hope is kind of feral. It holds on when, we, when it gets really ugly. Uh, it is a discipline that we practice alongside one another. And I think this is articulated pretty well by a poet called uh, Caitlin Sater, uh, who you may have heard Emily Dickinson's favorite poem, which is, you know, hope is the thing with, with feathers that perches on the soul. It's a beautiful poem. But Caitlin uh, actually replied to this poem with her own one, and I've heavily edited it. But this is what she says. Hope is not the thing with feathers that comes uh, to roost when you need it the most. Hope is an ugly thing with teeth and claws and patchy fur. It's what thrives in the discards and survives in the ugliest parts of our world, able to find a way to go on when nothing else can even find a way in. Hope is not some delicate, beautiful bird, Emily. It's a lowly little sewer rat. I think there's something really true in that, that actually it's this holding on when everything looks like it's against us. It acknowledges the disaster, it feels the grief, it sits with the depression and it holds on. It sees death and keeps saying that death doesn't have the final say. So here we are, um, learning through our creativity how to be masters of re-narration in a time of increased uh, financial instability uh, and anxiety, this might look like generosity uh, and giving when it would be all too easy to look at our own and uh, stockpile. Uh, to look outward at the needs of others um, shows that we trust that our generous God is greater than any monetary outcome that might come our way. It might look like gratitude and discipline of thankfulness at a time in which we are made more aware than usual of what we are lacking. And it will make itself known as peace, knowing that even though we are hard pressed, perplexed and struck down, we won't be crushed in despair, uh, abandoned or destroyed. So this hope is a non-anxious active presence in the world a reminder that we stand at a very different story of the world, one that has a hope, home in complete renewal because there is one who is making it new and has moved in with us to stay. Uh, theologian Jürgen Moltmann would say, um, those who hope in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is, but begin to suffer under it, which means to contradict it, uh, to contradict that this church is committed to answer for the hope that is in it. It is called in question on account of the hope and resurrection of the dead. Wherever that happens, Christianity embraces its true nature and becomes a witness of the future of Christ. So we don't just guard our imaginations or guard our minds. We fill them with a true vision, one that has been shaping this strange and contrary community for two millennia and one that continues to offer a better story to the world and gives expect, uh, lives expectantly in our modes of being. And so we can say as a community, we can agree with Psalm 25 and say, no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. Or agree with Isaiah 49 that says, then you will know that I am the Lord, 
who, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Or Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Starting to hear a theme? <laughs> so there are a few different groups of people that I want to uh, speak to this morning. So if you want to close your eyes and just listen to this bit, it's totally up to you, but just to have a few reflections on a few things. Maybe the Holy Spirit might be convicting you that you have given in to cynicism a little bit, that it's fun to just look down on hope and those that hope, especially with a childlike hope. Maybe you're being convicted that actually there's more for you to hope in. Maybe God has something to say to break you out of that. Maybe you're just someone who, like me, often just loses hope or just gets into this mode of being that's kind of half asleep. Maybe, maybe God's saying, again, there's more for you. Do you want to know, uh, to know me and the, and the future that I'm leading you into? Can you believe that actually life can be uh, infused with something greater? Maybe you're someone that's experienced loss. Maybe you are suffering. Maybe you are grieving. Maybe you need God to speak powerful hope into your life now that doesn't do away with your pain, but says that is not the end. You can hold on in the midst of that. Or maybe you're someone that's sitting there with creative gifts and wanting to do something with it and wanting to speak to that hope without being a cheesy Christian. Maybe you could ask God about how he wants to use you, to use your life, to use your communities, to use your gifts to speak to this true story of reality in a way which brings other people into it. So, Lord, we, we are open to you. We wanna hear you. We wanna thank you again that we have a hope that nothing can overcome, that we stand in this great hope. And we ask uh, that you would speak to us, our community. May we be a community of hope that reiterates to the rest of the world uh, what this is really about. Give us the words to say and the means to do it. In the words of Hebrews 10, I'll just finish. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful.